At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. Gracious God, uh, we do come to you today thanking you for the freedoms that we enjoy in our, in our land. But more so than that, God, we're thankful for the freedoms that we know because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus, your son, did for us on a cross, paying a price that we could simply not pay. God, so often when I stand on the stage and pray for our church family, I pray for people who've had brutal, difficult, hard weeks. God, today I'm praying that for myself and for my family. I'm praying that for others here today who barely got in these doors and yet they know they need to be here because you provide hope. And so, God, as we turn to your word now, we acknowledge that that is our source of hope, that that is where we find truth, that is where we find the reality of your son Jesus and his victory. And so today, God, we need eyes to see clearly this truth. We need ears to hear clearly this truth. We need humble hearts surrendered to you that your spirit might work in us, might minister to us in this truth. And so, God, we pray all of these things humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's dig into what God has for us today and actually over the course of the next few weeks. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be reading and reflecting upon a portion of the book of Revelation. Now, that means that the first part of our summer is going to be filled with white horses. It's going to be filled with angels. It's going to be filled with battles. You guys excited about that? I'm going to begin our time together today specifically as we dig into this mysterious, wonderful book of Revelation in the most pastoral way that I can. And it is my desire today for you, my White Lake family, that we would see and understand and grab a hold of the big picture. In spite of what happens when we open our Bibles to the book of Revelation and its apocalyptic writing, in spite of what we see in this dramatic imagery that just keeps coming up over and over and over again, it is cyclical throughout the book. And the many different and unique and strange things that we hear about end times, it is my desire today and over the course of the next few weeks that we would see and we would remember the big picture. Well, what is the big picture? 
That's the question that many of us are sitting here saying, Pastor, I need to know what the big picture is. Well, it's two words. You guys ready? Are you guys ready to hear the big picture? All right. God wins. Okay? God wins. This is, that is to say that God, the sovereign ruler of the universe, he will destroy evil. That means he will rescue believers, and that means he will transform creation. That's what that means. Now, the reality is we're going to be digging deeper into the text. We're going to dig into that imagery. We're going to try to understand some of that apocalyptic writing. But it is that big picture truth that each of us has to grab a hold of today because that is where we find unity. That's where we find unity. And so All Things New, that's the name of our new sermon series. And you may remember our senior pastor, Pastor Chris Brooks, kicked things off last week by looking at the beginning of chapter 19 And if you don't remember, let me give you a quick refresher. That's where we saw a beautiful picture of rejoicing in heaven. It gives us a description of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it is into that scenario, it is into that moment that the feast is interrupted by a warrior king. That's what I said, a warrior king. So let's grab our Bibles and let's turn together to Revelation chapter 19. We're going to continue the story and pick it up at verse 11. Now we're going to read uh, a couple different segments, longer segments of the text today. I'm going to just read the first segment and then we're going to unpack that together and then we're going to dig into the second segment in just a moment. But we're going to turn first off to Revelation 19 beginning with verse 11. Here are the words of John. And then I saw a heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him also on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which no strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the Almighty God, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We're going to pause right there. And White Lake family, there is much debate about what I just read. There's a lot of debate about, well, when does that actually happen? What is the timeline for that? There's a lot of debate about the specific details of what takes place. A lot of conjecture about the idea of the imagery that's represented here. 
I want you to know that many trusted, respected theologians have different understanding of the text we just read and the text we are about to read a little later on this morning. Now, to be sure, there is a time and a place to discuss those details and to look into the nuances. However, far more important than our perspective on the timing or all the specific details, what is not debatable is what we're going to focus on. What is not debatable, and that is this. For all who have faith in Jesus, we can agree on this same basic fundamental truth that I highlighted earlier, God wins. God wins. Put it another way, Jesus will defeat God's enemies. It's a little more robust than God wins, but God wins is memorable. You see, Jesus will defeat God's enemies. And as believers, you and I can rejoice in that reality. We can sing songs about the victory of Christ. It gives us hope. It stirs something deep within our souls. You see, for all who are in Christ, we can look upon our future. We can look upon what lies ahead with genuine hope in spite of what we see happening in our world. If you're like me, when you turn on the news, you are not encouraged. There's a lot of things that bring angst when we see what's going on in our world. And yet there is something powerful that the believer often overlooks when we consider and reflect upon who Jesus is and his ultimate victory. Here is what I mean. If you and I truly believe that Jesus is coming back, and we do, And if we truly believe that God will, in fact, defeat his enemies, and he will, then those beliefs should change the way you and I live. It should mold us and shape how we live, how we look at the world. It should cause our faith to be alive. It should cause our faith to be active. Because that is in our future as followers of Jesus. It is not something that we do, it is something that He has done and will do. Now, this morning we're going to see two specific ways two ways that the return of Christ will mold and shape our view of the world. The first comes when you and I actually see the victorious King. When God's people look and see Jesus as a victorious king. Now for us to see Jesus in this way and to understand the first segment of today's text, we must seek to understand all of the different imagery that is used there. So we're going to go through and kind of unpack all of those different things, kind of in bullet point fashion, to seek to understand and see what John is building for us. So let's go back to verse 11. He begins by telling us that he saw the heaven opened. What does that mean? That means that a heavenly figure is coming to earth in dramatic fashion. This begins an event that finds its fulfillment in chapter 21, and we are going to get to that in a couple weeks. We're not going to dig into that today. 
But what is helpful for us today is to understand that the normal practice of someone in a Roman setting, a Roman emperor, would in fact do what is happening right here. He's coming down from heaven and he's riding a what? He's riding a white horse. A white horse in that cultural context was one of power, was one of victory. So this heavenly figure comes down and he is upon a white horse. And don't miss the phrase that describes the one riding the white horse. It says he is faithful and true. That's so significant because that means he is unlike every other earthly king. He is faithful to keep his promises. He is true to his word. When he does that, that shows us his righteousness. It shows us that he is coming to battle evil as he said he would. That's just a small piece of the imagery of the one riding on the white horse. What follows in verses 12 through 16 are a little more vivid descriptions. So let's unpack those together as we look at the reality of our warrior king. Here's how John describes of what he sees in his vision. His eyes are like flames of fire. This suggests that his eyes are pure and they see everything. They're pure. On his head, there are many diadems. Now, this reveals that Jesus is the king of all kings. He doesn't have just a couple of crowns, a couple of diadems. He doesn't have a few. He has many. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He's the ultimate ruler. The next phrase says he has a name written that no one else knows. This helps us see that Jesus is all-knowing, and it does, in fact, point to the reality of his divinity. Nobody else sees it, but he does. He does. And then it says he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. This points to the sacrificial way that Jesus does, in fact, conquer his enemies. Next phrase, the name of the king is the word of God. Clearly, this truth links with the reality of John 1, 1. Jesus is, in fact, the living word. He's the living word. I'm going to hit the pause button right there because that is, in fact, a lot for us to process. Now, here's the crazy thing. That's just two verses. That's two verses. Let's keep going. Let's pick it up at verse 14. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. This is a reference to the sharp reality of God's judgment. Yes, I said that, God's judgment. We're going to look more at that here in just a moment. But this is that sharp reality, that sharp truth with a sharp sword is a reference to God's judgment. And it says he will rule them with a rod of iron. To rule with an iron scepter was to rule as a judge. Not simply to govern and even do a measure of strength. This was strong and unyielding. An iron rod. And then finally on his robe, in his thigh, is a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. The name, as we just mentioned a moment ago, is significant because it is above all other names. 
period. That is the one who is riding on the white horse. And each of these things taken of by themselves are a sign of power. Each of them is a show of strength. If you took one and then looked at another one and then looked at another one, each of those would communicate power and strength. But when you put it all together and the focus is on one person, they overwhelmingly speak of a victorious king. Well, let's get real with each other here on a holiday weekend. I'm guessing that not many of us when we walked in today had this image in our minds as we entered this space for worship. Not many of us thought, you know what, I'm here to worship a powerful, holy, righteous warrior king. Let me ask you a question. Why not? I know the answer because that's a stark contrast to the loving, gracious, turn-the-other-cheek image of Jesus that we know so well from the New Testament. Over and over and over again in the New Testament, we read of the Christ who is kind and merciful and gracious. Now, allow me to assure you today That's true. He is loving. He is kind. He is gracious. He does encourage us to turn the other cheek. Those things are all true. But that's also not the full and accurate picture of Jesus. You see, we must recognize that Jesus is both grace and truth. We must recognize that he is both merciful and just. Church, that is the God of the Bible. And the reality is that is the God that our world needs. That is the God that you and I need. You might say, well, why? Why do we need that? Because it is this multifaceted God who offers sinners like you and me grace and mercy and forgiveness through his son Jesus. We need that. And it's also because of this grace that we must respond to others In kind, we must respond to others with grace. I love the way Timothy Keller describes it. He writes, the deeper the experience of the free grace of God, the deeper you understand it, the deeper you grab a hold of it, the deeper you experience it for yourself, the more generous we must become. The more generous we must become. So church family, to see how much God has done for you through the sacrificial work of Christ, I want us to consider afresh the power and the holiness of our victorious king. That's him riding on a white horse. Now let's grab our text and go back to it again. We're going to pick it up. At verse 17, John continues what he is is revealed to him. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, 
And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the sign by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. And for those who worshipped its image... These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. So the text moves in the first segment from the imagery of the one riding the white horse and he's doing it in power to something that we see as a battle that Christ will ultimately face. And make no mistake about it, the battle will be ugly, it will be brutal, and it will be intense. How intense? Well, this is one of those images that actually is hard for us to wrap our minds around, isn't it? Look back at verse 18. Come gather for the great supper to eat the flesh of the kings. That's awful. The flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. That is ugly and it is intense. And the image that John explains for us is brutal. It's awful. But here's the truth. While that may seem harsh to us, what it does is it gives us a very clear picture of the justice side of our God. It helps us see that he is just and he brings all of the wicked on earth to a feast and that is where they will be destroyed. He will destroy them. And as I was reading and preparing for this message I was reminded of the words of Susan in the great allegory, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Here's what she says of Aslan, the lion, who is the Christ-like figure. Listen to what she says. Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Susan is then asked, Is he safe? (laughs) Susan says, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. I love that imagery because it helps us see both the loving side and the just side of our God. And this brings us to understand a little bit better what happens with this ultimate battle. There is a war between God, the holy, and the beast. That is what's happening. There is a fight in this moment between good and evil. But in verse 20, 
It's over before it really begins. Look back at verse 20. And the beast was captured, and with it, the false prophet. Just like that. Church, this helps us see the second way that the return of Christ changes our view of God and changes the way that you and I can view our world. When we see the victorious battle, when God's people see Jesus as the victor in battle, in just five verses of Scripture right there, the battle's won. It's over. Let me highlight that for you. The beast and his false prophet, they are captured. Check. Once they're captured, what happens to them? They've been cast into the lake of fire. Check. And all who followed their evil ways were destroyed by the sword of Jesus. Jesus is victorious while the beast is defeated. That's where God's people say, amen. You see, this is the vision that John expresses through the book of Revelation. God wins. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is the victorious king, and he is victorious in battle. But when we hear those words, we have to admit that runs contrary to everything we see in our culture today. But pastor, there's no such thing as good and evil. There's there's no real responsibility for my sinful actions. I can do whatever I want. And most certainly there is no hell. There is no lake of fire. It's just not fair. The revelation that God reveals to John that we read in our Bibles, what what John then shares with God's people, tells us that all of those things are true. All of those things will occur. And while we may not like them, they are no less true. But this leaves us as followers of Christ with a dilemma, doesn't it? I mean, really, if we are going to wrap our minds around this and understand what it says, what are we supposed to do with these truths? We're followers of Jesus in this kind of world. The reality is you and I live in something called the now and the not yet. We live in this tension. What we read is, in fact, true, and it's coming, but it's in the future. We've not yet fully experienced the reality of Christ's victory. It's not fully realized. Jesus did pay the price for us on the cross, and yet we still live in a world that tugs and has all these tensions. What does that mean for you and for me? Practically speaking, it means that until that time, we walk in faith. Until that time, we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Until that time, we read God's Word, we seek to understand it and allow it to guide us and mold us and shape us. And until that time, we, we pray. We pray to our Heavenly Father. And we also tell others 
about our hope. We tell others about this Jesus. You see, we do so because we live squarely in the now and the not yet, and we do so with tremendous hope in our hearts. Not because of anything we've done, not because of what you've done, not because of what I've done, but because of our union with Jesus and what he did. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. And you... You were dead in your trespasses, and you were dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to shame by triumphing over them. How? In him. In Christ. So, White Lake family, it is because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross that our payment, what we owe, has been paid. It's been covered. And it is because of Christ's death on behalf of all who would believe that we will one day share in Christ's victory. That's why it speaks of the army of people that's behind Jesus. Those are believers. And so Christ follower today, I hope that what you hear in this text is hope for our future. And a reason that we should worship and be on mission today. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.